Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and how to surprise that special someone with a key blast. The first half of the Saiyan arc is already in the books, and in tonight's episode, we'll be kung fu punching our way through the second half. Will Goku arrive in time to save the day? Will Vegeta and Nappa destroy the Earth and all of our Z fighters along with it? Are these questions arbitrary? Prepare to find out as we cover episodes 11 through 16 of Dragon Ball Z Kai. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! With Nappa and Vegeta waiting very patiently for the arrival of Goku, tension is beginning to build. Things don't look good for Piccolo, Gohan, and Krillin in the face of their quite powerful and deadly opponents. Yamcha, Tien, and Chatsu have already fallen in battle, and hope grows thin as the remaining Z fighters await their hero. And with all of that covered, was there anything you wanted to add before we got things started, Todd? I just got a condensed recap for our last time on Instant Transmission. Goku has a son. Goku has a brother. Goku's from space. <laughs> Goku's brother's a dick. Piccolo's a good guy. Gohan gets kidnapped. Piccolo loses an arm. Goku and his brother are dead. Two points for Piccolo. Piccolo's arm gets better. More aliens coming to Earth! Goku chases a monkey while dead. Gohan gets kidnapped. Aliens on Earth! Yamcha catches a case of the explosions. Chaozu pulls the Yamcha. Tien loses an arm. It doesn't get better. A bald man, an alien, and a child walk into a wasteland. They're all going to die! Break time! And that brings us to today's episode. Gosh. <laughs> if you guys haven't caught it, DBZ Kai covers a whole, whole lot in a very, very small amount of time. And it's it's kind of a lot to get through. It is a whole lot, uh, which is why we're only covering six episodes today. Uh, and I think we're just going to dive right into it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, tonight's episode begins on DBZ Kai episode 11. And we have everyone standing around for three hours waiting for Goku to arrive. Um, and I'm not going to lie. This is hilarious and also very Dragon Ball for the big baddies to just sit on their butts and wait for the big, powerful hero to show up. I love this. And I mean, this kind of plays into the trope that, uh, you know, Saiyans just love a challenge. Saiyans love to fight. Uh, but yeah, they, they're basically sitting around. I think most of the time kind of expires here, though, without Goku showing up. He's kind of flying down Snake Way, making his way to Kame so that he can get out of the... Uh, out of the realm of the dead and back to Earth. And it's interesting because, one, Vegeta says he only allows this allotment of time because Goku is a Saiyan and he respects other Saiyans. And this three hours makes a lot more sense when you don't have, um, dare I say, some of the filler that the original DBZ had when Goku was making his way back. Yeah, absolutely. There's even a little scene in here, too, as they kind of kill some time where Nappa goes after... The media. <laughs> I I thought his line was pretty great as he's like, I hate the media. It felt very DBZ abridged. It, it was one of those things where this is the uh, the show kind of being self-aware at this point. I don't mind these little jabs. I think they fit in quite well. 
Oh, yeah, the writing for this is excellent with uh, 35 years of hindsight. So, <laughs> Yeah, but with uh, the media dealt with and the three hours expiring, Nappa decides to <clears throat> take off his armor and get a little bit more comfortable. And uh, it the beatdown is about to begin. But Piccolo has a plan, and he begins kind of getting everybody in order, being the team leader, which is, I think, great. I love them showing Piccolo as the tactician, the smart fighter. It's interesting here because, I mean, Piccolo is, of course, we've seen him be intelligent and we've seen him be crafty in combat. But as far as we know of Piccolo, he's a loner. Like, he's never fought with a team. So it's it's fun to see him for the first time work as a tactician for more than just himself. Yeah, it's it's very cutthroat tactics, right? It's not about subduing your opponent. It's about defeating them entirely. And it's, I mean, it's it's fun to see. It's also giving Piccolo kind of a, a purpose in this situation, too, because no, no one's stepping up. Krillin's not helping out. Gohan has literally no experience in a real fight, so it's fun to see someone take the reins. Yeah, I agree. He's he's kind of setting up a plan. We do get a quick cut of Goku finally arriving at King Yema's place where Kami is waiting for him. Uh, Kami then teleports Goku to Kami's lookout. This is always an interesting thing to me. Like, can Kami only teleport between his lookout and the afterlife? Because if he could teleport anywhere on Earth, why didn't he just take him to where the Saiyans are? It's one of those questions that doesn't need to be asked. There's a lot of, <laughs> I guess you could say, plot holes in Dragon Ball if you really look for them. But let's yeah. assume that there's some sort of rule there, right? And there's got to be some unspoken rule. <laughs> but Goku makes it back to the lookout and on his way out, he decides to quickly stop by Korin to grab a just his last two sensu beans. And this is important. Yeah, Goku actually eats one right off the bat because, I mean, we saw how long it took him to get through Snake Way. He plowed through Snake Way in uh, just a few hours this time. Uh, so he's pretty wiped out. And then we kind of cut back over to our Z fighters getting ready to execute their plan. And the idea here is that Krillin is going to be the distraction and Piccolo's going to take that moment to grab Nappa's tail, what it should be a Saiyan's one weakness, and then Gohan is going to be the, the hitter in this moment. Gohan's going to try to take Nappa out while he's weakened, but it doesn't go exactly according to plan. Yeah, it's, I mean, the first few phases of the plan work well. Krillin draws the attention. Uh, Piccolo sneaks in, grabs Nappa's tail. But to kind of everyone's surprise, Nappa is unaffected by his tail being grabbed. And Piccolo is dealt a pretty vicious elbow to the skull. And I like this a lot because in original Dragon Ball, Goku did train to make his tail a less weak point for him. So this is something that there's there's context for. I didn't know this the first time I saw Dragon Ball. This didn't make any sense to me. But with original Dragon Ball in the books at this point, yeah, that's something that Goku did. And of course, elite Saiyan warriors would have done the same thing. 
I agree. I like this a lot, having the context from Dragon Ball. It's interesting to think about, especially in that Raditz never took the time to train his tail. I I kind of wonder not only why they wouldn't do that. Maybe, I mean, I, I suppose it could just be a matter of being lazy, uh, but I also kind of wonder how much time it would take and everything. It's just interesting to see some Saiyans doing it and some not doing it. Yeah, like what's the distinction? Why these ones and not those ones? And I mean, we'll we'll never know, but that is a good question to bring up. It's not like Raditz wasn't uh, an elite Saiyan warrior. I mean, he was one of the last few remaining Saiyans in the universe. I guess at that point, he's an elite. Uh, I, I think Goku and Raditz's bloodline is not supposed to be one of the stronger bloodlines. Um, but... But yeah, I mean, Raditz was hanging out with Nappa and Vegeta at that point. You'd think they would have been like, hey, buddy, you should do this tail training. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with Piccolo pretty much out of the fight at this point, Gohan is the next target of Nappa's brutality. And it's it's pretty vicious. Gohan is bashed against the rocks and just basically just getting his, well, his shit kicked in. But mid this process, Piccolo decides to step in and actually help out his boy. Yeah, this is this is pretty cool. Um, not only I well, said Krillin, right? I meant to say Krillin. I was gonna say I got a little bit confused because I think Pic- <laughs> well, Krillin steps in. Krillin is the one who bashes uh, Nappa across the jaw, um, kicking him away from Gohan. And actually, you get Krillin gets to be quite the badass here for a moment, drawing the attention of Nappa, and then delivering yet another new technique from our boy Krillin. As he raises his hand up, we see this lightning begin to emerge from his hand as he channels his key. Uh, and with his palm facing the air like a badass pizza delivery man, this yellow disc of energy and key begins to form in his hand as he begins to swirl it around. Yeah, and for those of us who... uh Watch this episode by episode on Toonami. You may recognize this technique as the Destructo Disc. But in DBZ Kai, they don't use the the English translated names from the original series. They use the actual Japanese names this time around. Yeah, this is interesting. Dayton and I talked about this a little bit earlier, too, where... I mean, we instead of getting the special beam cannon from Piccolo, we got the Makankosa Po, if I can say it correctly... And then this time, instead of the Destructo disc, we're getting the Kienzan. So it's, I mean, it's very clear that Kai is trying to be as true to the source material as it can. I think I'm a little bit torn on this because I read through the manga. So I, I, I'm familiar with the Japanese names. I, I like the Japanese names fine. I think Dayton, you had a little different opinion on this one though. I do, and it's mostly because I I watched Dragon Ball Z on just regular television as somewhere around middle school, and so I have fond memories associated with these techniques. And so when I hear Destructo Disc, it invokes those memories and those emotions along with them. When you use a different name, I'm kind of taken aback a little bit. I don't have that same draw as I would have if he would have announced Destructo Disc. And I understand that probably for for people who enjoy the manga and who are probably a little bit more, I guess, hardcore into the DBZ universe than than I am, the Japanese names are probably the purest form of being able to 
you know, get across or consume this media. But for me, I felt like there was a memory that wasn't tapped into that should have been. Yeah, and I can get on board with that that kind of missed nostalgia from those names, given that we both watched it uh, in, you know, from we're both seeing it from a Western audience point of view, getting to see the original dub. And so it's, I don't know. I, I like that they're trying to change things to be more true to the source material. This is a point where I'm kind of torn, where I'm like, I could have kind of gone either way. I would have been fine with them keeping the English names for the techniques. Uh, but there'll be a few changes later that we'll talk about that. I'm definitely a fan of them correcting. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But with the uh, Destructo disc and the, the, Tianzan or whatever it's called dilemma <laughs> out of the way uh, the Destructo disc is launched and Vegeta decides to pipe in at the last second before Nappa's chopped in two telling him dodge that attack and it's a good thing he did because his head probably would have been taken clean off oh yeah this is cool I I've always enjoyed this moment because it shows the difference between Nappa and Vegeta. And we we get moments like that all throughout as Nappa shows that he's afraid of Vegeta. But this shows that Vegeta is like a fighting genius. He can look at that technique and be like, that's that's not a normal key blast. There's something different about it. Yeah, and it kind of also to the other direction too. It proves that Nappa's kind of just a brute, right? He's not thinking about this. He's smashing things. And it's probably... Honestly, it's probably Vegeta's fault that Nappa's probably still alive at this point. With Vegeta looking out for him, Nappa probably stays out of some really bad situations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with that, Nappa gets ready to retaliate after having his cheek slashed open by the Kienzan. And just as he gets ready to deliver his own key blast to just obliterate Krillin, he, Nappa, receives a blast in the back out of nowhere. And it is this time Piccolo getting up to intervene. Uh, this is, I mean, this is cool. This is like, I mean, it's like a pack of hyenas trying to take down a rhino. Like, they're just one after the other trying to attack Nappa, who is just way too powerful for any one of them on their own. Right, and he's he's playing whack-a-mole. He's knocking him down, but he's not finishing him off, and they keep getting back up. But it's it's one of those things where how long can they keep this up for? Nappa's still insanely powerful compared to the rest of them, and Nappa's rage is only growing as the fight goes on. All of our warriors are pretty much down and and kind of in the gutter at this point, waiting and praying that Goku's going to show up in time. Yeah, and speaking of Goku... Our Z fighters actually feel his energy on Earth as he begins to approach. And Vegeta's uncertain if they're just bluffing or stalling for time. However, he does pull out his scouter to get a reading on our Saiyan warrior. Uh, and he, he gets a... He does get a reading and sees that Kakarot is on his way. Yeah, and I mean, right away, power ratings are, are just basically becoming a thing in, in Dragon Ball Z. Goku's original rating, I think, was around 
300, between 300 and 350. Mm-hmm. Um, he's up to over 5,000 now is the rating that Vegeta gave. So Goku got 20 times more powerful in less than a year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll see this moving forward, but power levels, I mean, the numbers start to get crazy very quickly. And I think Dragon Ball Z abridged or Team Four Star says it best uh, in saying power levels are bullshit. <laughs> but with Goku's bullshit power level now red, um, he gives the order to eliminate Piccolo, Krillin, and Gohan, Vegeta wants to kill off all of Goku's help before he can arrive. I love this. Once again, it's it's showing sound tactics. Yeah, this is interesting, too, because they waited all this time for Kakarot or Goku to show up. And now they're like, oh, no, we're going to kill all these guys. Uh, and so... I mean, Nappa starts to go to work. Uh, Nappa basically begins attacking our Z fighters again. And he basically gets angry at this point, getting ready to, as they kind of start to, our Z fighters begin to retaliate. Um, Gohan here, actually, I think is the one who uh, puts a hurt on. Yeah. He's actually able to find his courage and he actually steps forward to to fight Nappa and he delivers a pretty vicious kick that sends Nappa flying into the rocks. It's sort of this unexpected moment, right? It's as things get worse and worse, everyone's finding their opportunity to step up and step in. Yeah, I, I think this is this the first time that we've seen Gohan do much of anything in this fight. I think it's pretty dang close. Yeah, it's he's had a couple moments where he's kind of backed down and and he really couldn't find his spine. But at the same time, he's what, like five? Yeah, he's five years old in this fight, dealing with these alien invaders who are powerful enough to destroy the planet. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, like you said, they're powerful. And this kick that Nappa received pisses him off. And he responds in kind by summoning his fury and key and aiming a blast at Gohan that would pretty much kill anybody it hits. But before the blast can find its target, Piccolo steps into its path. Yeah. I think, honestly, so we, we're going to have to talk about this moment, but it kind of continues into the next episode. I feel like it's almost better to move into the next episode and kind of get that part out of the way so that we can talk about this this scene as a whole. Yeah. And real quick, I think I forgot to announce the name of episode 11. It was, will son Goku make it? The battle resumes in three hours, but we're going to move on from that into episode 12, which is the tears Piccolo shed son Goku's furious counterattack. And we pick right back up with Piccolo facing Nappa's Kia blast or key blast. And I've got to say this like the way they dress this sequence back up, the animation is absolutely gorgeous on it. I think it was animated very well originally. I think they did it justice with the the upscaling or the way they they improved it. Yeah, I would agree. There are 
we talked about it last time. There are some panels or some scenes where they kind of draw over the original animation. And usually most of those have looked very bad, in my opinion. I like the color alterations. I like the kind of color correction. Uh, I think that looks solid. This scene, though, a lot of this scene is done in more of like a black and white line work. It's beautiful. I I don't think that they altered this very much. They certainly didn't do like the drawing over it. It looks like it's straight out of a manga, but it's it's like a moving manga. And then you have the flashing light of the key blast coming in to impact with Piccolo as he's just arms outspread to protect Gohan. It's gorgeous. I love this scene. It's it's definitely it was a great scene originally, and DPZ Kai did it justice, at least this animation. And I mean, when when the dust sort of settles and this beautiful, beautifully done uh scene ends, we see a battered and and bloody Piccolo just kind of emerging from the blast in very rough shape. And we see him standing for just a moment before he collapses to the ground. Gohan then crawls up to Piccolo's side and he listens to his last words. And I love these words because I think they're, it's very good storytelling. Piccolo says, what a sorry excuse I've become. Me, Piccolo, laying down his life to protect some tiny little pipsqueak. Gohan, you're the only person I've ever known that didn't treat me like a monster. Truth be told, this last year wasn't so bad. Thank you, Gohan. It's beautiful. I mean, this is for anyone who watched Dragon Ball Z in the 90s and remembers it fondly. This is almost certainly one of the biggest moments that people will point to to why they love Dragon Ball Z. I mean, and that's even a lot of people are watching this without context for Piccolo's character, without really getting that character arc of him being this villain and then becoming the savior of his arch enemy's son. Uh, we just got finished watching the original Dragon Ball and watching the Piccolo Jr. arc uh, where Piccolo nearly killed Goku. And so getting to see his story arc from start to finish as he turns into a good guy is it's a beautiful emotional ride. Yeah, and I I do love how this is written, I guess, with Dragon Ball in mind, right? It's it's one of those things where if you've been following the story up to this point, this is a very deep cutting moment. And I think we talked about this a little bit before before the podcast started, but this is also one of those scenes where the you could say a critique could be that they this moment went by too quickly. They could have slowed it down a little bit at this point to kind of let you drink in the gravity of the situation. I agree. And that's why I wanted to kind of get through this entire scene before kind of talking about that point, because I have I have a ton of nostalgia for this moment in the original Dragon Ball Z. I imagine that you probably do, too, Dayton. Yes, sir. And I remember fondly the moment of Piccolo 
running almost in slow motion as Nappa is delivering this key blast attack and the flashbacks to Piccolo with Gohan and spending time with him in the the wastelands as he's training this boy and Piccolo just kind of thinking like, what am I doing? I mean, I, I have to save this kid. And they completely skipped past that. I I'm I don't like that they did that. Now, Dayton, when we talked before the podcast, you actually had an idea for this that I liked that would change it to be better than I think what they presented here in Kai. Yeah, and for me, there's there's two approaches that you could go with this. There's the build up to the moment where it's the the slow-mo running up and you have the memories, but I like the 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 build down. I like the idea of this scene's happening fast and then there's almost a blast or a sudden moment where you realize that Piccolo got in that way and you have that kind of slow de-escalation from that moment where you start getting these memories and get getting that realization of why Piccolo made this decision and what Gohan meant to him all the way down to his last final breath sort of thing. And I would have liked if they would have done that. But we get this kind of weird in between where you see Piccolo make the decision and then afterwards it's, you know, it's a touching scene, but it's only like 15 seconds. So it's not, you don't get enough time on either side of the act to really appreciate it. Yeah. I, this is one of the first scenes or maybe one of the most important scenes that suffers from the pacing that we get in Dragon Ball Kai because this stuff is breakneck speed pace like which sometimes is good but I feel like Kai at least in what we've seen so far doesn't know when to put on the brakes when to slow things down and give a scene a moment to breathe so that we can kind of build that tension, that anticipation, uh, or even just that emotional connection. And this is definitely, in my opinion, one of the scenes that suffered for it. Yeah. And it's they're They're trying to fit a lot of content into a very small form factor. And unless they, they add more episodes or slow it down, this is, I see this being kind of a, a running theme as we move forward, if they're going to keep going at this pace, but what I will say is that if you've seen the original, this does harken back all those emotions. It's a very good representation of what that scene meant for me, but it doesn't hit the same as the first time I watched it. I agree. And that's if people come into Dragon Ball Z and just watch Kai, I feel like they're missing out. I feel like this moment doesn't hit as strongly as it did in the original. Yeah. Um, and that's, we, we can jump into the pacing. I think at the end of this episode, cause I have a lot of thoughts about it, but with Piccolo laying down his life for Gohan and actually passing away. And we actually get a scene of, of Kame just fading out of existence as his life comes to an end as well. Gohan is pissed. He unleashes just a, a passion fueled scream as he launches probably his greatest Masinko he's ever launched, which I love that he uses that technique because that's the one that Piccolo taught him. Yeah, this is cool. 
Uh, I think we even get Vegeta on his scouter getting a reading of Gohan, kind of watching Gohan's power level skyrocket. And I think the final reading on Gohan as he's charging his Masenko is 2,800. So he, once again, yells out for Nappa to, to be cautious because he's Gohan in this moment is much more powerful than he has been previous. Yeah, but Nappa's brute strength is just too much. And with a punch, he thwarts the attack. And Gohan's he kind of appears spent at his at this point. This seems like he dumped everything into that attack. And Hope is slipping away with all their best attacks and plans all pretty much defeated. They're waiting on Goku at this point. Yeah. I mean, Piccolo's dead. Uh, we've already lost... Yamcha, Tien, Chaozu. The only people here left are Gohan and Krillin. Krillin is already lying on the ground, beaten and battered. And so our big boy Nappa makes his way to Gohan and gets ready to stomp Gohan out like a bug. And just as he brings his foot down, on top of what would have been Gohan's head, we get a a brief save here from none other than Nimbus. Yeah, and it's I like the way this scene's kind of laid out where Gohan's kind of surprised that he's where he's at. And he's surprised that Nimbus has saved him. But we get this kind of slow reveal that Goku has actually arrived at the battlefield and he's kind of taking stock at this point of what's happened. He's looking at, at the carnage that's taken place that how many of his friends that he's lost, like you said, Chaozu, Yamcha and Tien and now Piccolo and Goku's angry. Once again, Goku is in kind of the state that we don't normally often see him in, especially if you've watched Dragon Ball, Goku has been frustrated, but it's rare to see Goku angry and Goku has to make the decision that with only one Sensu bean left, he breaks it in half and gives one half each to Krillin and Gohan and then tells them to leave. The battle is now up to him. Yeah, I love this entrance. I love this moment, uh, kind of what you were describing, Dayton, where this is almost a different Goku than we've seen up to this point. And he kind of has Vegeta like jabbering at him and Goku just pays him no attention whatsoever. He checks on a couple of his friends and then, you know, heals Gohan and Krillin with the Sensu bean. And once he's finished with his own business, he's like, now it's time to fuck you guys up. Yeah. And as Nappa and Goku prepare to fight, Vegeta decides to take stock of what Goku's power level is. And this is where I consider this an epic fail. <laughs> he puts on the scatter and this is the scene. This is the Dragon Ball meme. And he gets the reading. And rather than getting this exciting, it's over 9,000. We get this limp dick. It's over 8,000. Just BS scene that I care nothing for. I don't care about 
anything else. I just want the meme. You guys could have played off of it. You could have made a joke about it, but you gave me nothing. This is a funny moment, and I'm I'm torn on this one, and I can understand Dayton's feelings about it because, I mean, this is this is the meme. This is literally like people who don't even know anything about Dragon Ball have almost certainly seen this meme on the internet, and the the issue is here. Well, the I guess the elephant in the room. There again, Kai is trying to be true to the source material, and I don't know why, but the original dub used the number 9000 when in the manga, Goku's reading on the scouter is over 8000. And I don't know, like, I will say the fact that this is really downplayed kind of reminded me of Dragon Ball Z abridged. And I think even the team four star guys have always been like, what do you do with this moment? Like this moment that has been a joke and a meme for years. Like, how do you make a joke out of it? So I know Dragon Ball Z abridged was basically like his power levels over 9,000 rar and just kind of like really downplayed it. And that's kind of what it feels like here to me too, but they don't make it as much of a funny moment, I guess. Yeah. I think there could have been something fun here. They could have tried to recreate the moment. We could have had Chris actually saying the line that he gets credited for, <laughs> but it's, I don't know. It's it, this could have been fun. They could have done something, but instead like the announcement was not very interesting. The, you changed it from the meme to something else, which I get the manga, but I don't know. It's To me, this was just kind of a big letdown because I knew it was coming up and I was getting excited. And then it was just like. Yeah, they really downplayed it. There's a part of me that almost wishes that they would have like just done it way over the top, like way oversold this line. That would have been really interesting. <laughs> way oversell it or way undersell it dude just do something but i feel like i don't know i like i feel like i got nothing this this should have been a big moment for something to happen and then just they missed the ball completely yeah that is a bummer i mean everybody's you know looking forward to it so they they needed to do more just I do agree. something i don't care what you do either like do it with more gusto or make a joke or anything but nothing happened here and i mean I, I get that the manga says 8,000, but power levels don't mean anything. So who cares what that number is? You just have some fun with it. Right. But that kind of moves us forward into the fight with Nappa and Goku as Nappa kind of charges in thinking like, I'm still going to whoop this dude's ass. And then Goku, as Nappa grabs for him, vanishes and kicks Nappa right in the back of the head, planting his face into the dirt. And this is where we, for the first time, start to see the fruit of Goku's training on King Kai's planet. I will say this, this fight is cut down. And even then, there's only one, well, I guess technically two, but there's only one real sequence that I enjoy about this fight. There's a lot of repeated frames, actually, for it being such a short fight. And there's one where Goku dodges over uh, Nappa's kick, then leaps over Nappa's shoulder to avoid a punch. That looks really 
good. I love that sequence. That sequence is about two seconds. The rest of the fight is completely forgettable to me. Uh, yeah, and I mean, when you're talking about, you said it has a lot of repeated frames. Are you talking about in the Kai version or the original? Yeah, well, both, but even the Kai version, uh, there must have not been much to salvage because that's... I mean, we get towards the end of the fight where Goku's standing on Nappa's head and then delivers a pretty, I mean, pretty weighty gut punch. But that's it. Those are my only takeaways from this fight. This is kind of an uninteresting, uninspired fight. So I, I have to criticize it. Interesting. I actually, I can see your point about like the, well, I don't know. I feel differently about this fight. Not. I, I don't think it's an amazing fight. I won't say that. Maybe it's nostalgia for me, though, because there are a few sequences in here that I love. You mentioned two of them. Uh, I actually kind of like the fast punch frames that I think you're talking about with the repeated frames. The only reason I like them in here, and it might be a little bit different in the original, is because I don't feel like they're overused here. I feel like they're used just enough to emphasize how fast these guys are moving. And as long as they don't get repeated to death, I'm perfectly okay with that. Uh, this is kind of giving us the emphasis on how impressive Goku is because he's just dodging these rapid attacks from Nappa. But I definitely love the sequence that you were talking about specifically where Goku like dodges and leaps over Nappa um, I love the sequence with Goku completely vanishing and then just appearing with both feet on top of Nappa's head. And we are going to have to talk about the final sequence in this fight because it is iconic. Are we talking about uh, Vegeta telling Nappa to calm down and focus and stop being frustrated and it not working out and then vegeta telling napa like you're done you're you're out of this fight and it's time for me to step in and i believe this sequence or the scene also spills over into episode 13 oh you might be right uh yeah i think it does kind of yeah the the, the cuts for kai are weird they are uh, weird <laughs> because this is the same scene this is the same thing happening but it's literally split in the middle of it happening between two episodes so this now also spills over in episode 13 which is this is kaioken a battle to the limit goku versus vegeta and this is where Nappa accepts the order from Vegeta to step down, but he won't do so quiet, quietly. Charging towards Gohan and Krillin, Goku is forced to act, and this is where we see the Kaioken unveiled, and Goku's speed is amplified, and he's able to catch the giant before he can reach his friends. Nappa is dispatched in basically a moment. This is another one for me, man. Like, there are just so many scenes in this fight and it, admittedly it's probably like three or four probably three really good cuts in this uh in this fight but this one for me the scene the frame of goku standing legs wide hand up in the air just pushing this behemoth of napa in the air after plowing into his back uh paralyzing the man and then just 
chucks him onto the ground at Vegeta's feet. Like here, take your trash and get off my planet. <laughs> I it, love this scene. It It is such an iconic scene. It's, it's, I mean, it's one of those ones that sticks out in your head. It's also that like, Oh, the unveiling of the new technique. Oh, like it gets you pumped, right? It's a kind of a sneak preview of what's to come. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I get what you mean. There are, there are definitely better fights in Dragon Ball, but the, just the the reveals of Goku's training and his techniques are very cool here. Uh, but this is going to lead into Vegeta looking as if he's going to help our buddy Nappa out as he grabs Nappa's hand. Nappa now unable to move from a spine injury. And then Vegeta with a grin chucks his friend up into the air and after charging his key blasts Nappa into dust. This blew my mind when I first saw it as a 13 ish year old. Oh my Lord. It, it really, I mean, we talked about this a lot in uh, original dragon ball, there's this continual tone shift as you go through the Dragon Ball series where things sort of become more adult. They become a little bit more dark as you move and progress through the Dragon Ball story. So when Goku's very young, it's kind of childish and, and kind of fun. But as he gets older, the stakes seem to rise and the villains become more villainous. And Vegeta has definitely taken the crown of probably the most villainous person we've seen in Dragon Ball up to this point. He took what is probably his only quote-unquote friend and killed him for no longer being useful. Yeah, I think he even has a line, something to the effect of, I have no use for a paralyzed Saiyan, which is just savage man <laughs> yeah and even our remaining z fighters they kind of reel at the insanity that vegeta's put on display and they after a, a moment's pause they start to game plan and once again goku's going to fight from here and out alone that's the game plan <laughs> and i i kind of laugh at this because dragon ball has a reputation for these one-on-one -on -one fights to decide the fate of the planet. But at the same time, there is some justification here in that Gohan and Krillin are just a liability at this point. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they kind of are, right? They're not powerful enough to help, at least not right now. And Goku's just going to be hampered by them, especially seeing like you said Dayton how how savage and ruthless Vegeta is he's certainly going to have no qualms about taking Gohan or Krillin and threatening their lives to get an advantage over Goku if he needs to and the the biggest thing of note here though is that Krillin agrees to to let Goku take it from here on out but he mentions that he would like Goku to find somewhere else to fight so that way the bodies of Chaozu, not Chaozu, yeah, he's dust. Uh, Tien and Yamcha um, could be preserved in case they could be resurrected. And Goku, of course, says, well, Piccolo's dead. There's no way we could resurrect them. And Krillin kind of alludes that, well, maybe there is, but I'll tell you later. And so that's kind of a, it's a nice little storytelling piece of where everything's going to go. And it's subtle and it's quick, 
but I love it. I think it's a nice hint of where things are going to go. And I think this is part of the the rewriting for Kai, too. I don't remember this detail being in there, but I, I like this here, too. I agree. Uh, this kind of moves forward with Krillin say, telling Goku, like, hey, we'll leave, but don't die, buddy. Uh, I, I really like this kind of friendship moment between them as they shake hands and Krillin takes Gohan to leave the battlefield uh, and Goku and Vegeta, Goku kind of convinces Vegeta, hey, let's go fight. Let's find a better place to fight. Uh, Vegeta's like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. I'm about to beat that ass. <laughs> so Vegeta agrees. He He's just here for, for some good fist throwing. And Goku leads him off to, I'm sorry, this might be one of the most iconic locations in all of Dragon Ball. It's this rocky barren desert area with these high spires of rocks that kind of pierce through towards the sky in all directions. And there's not a sign of life in any direction. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I I'm going to be geeking out about this entire section because like you said, Dayton, one of the most iconic locations as well as some of the most iconic framing and scenes in Dragon Ball Z or all of Dragon Ball really. But I love the moment where they land on the pillars and we get this kind of sweeping view of Vegeta standing atop a pillar, arms crossed, smirk on his face, hair blowing in the wind as he looks down on Goku or Kakarot on this lower pillar, giving this very real and very visual illustration of this upper class Saiyan prince and this lower class warrior of the Saiyans and the kind of hierarchy here and the uphill battle that we have of Goku fighting against Vegeta. I love this so much. The symbolism is on point and the backgrounds are great. The, I mean, even the color palettes they choose to use for, for both warriors and the landscape that they're in it puts them front and center, right? You have these kind of muted browns and tans, and then you have these bright, vibrant colors representing the two Saiyan warriors to bring them right into the forefront. It's everything about it, I think, is artfully done. It's probably one of the best shots in all of Dragon Ball. Absolutely. And the our two Saiyans kind of banter here a little bit as they get into the meat of the fight we get the another iconic shot as they go into their initial battle poses uh and they kind of go into a crouch as we move forward there's just these scenes of like the scenery around them as they're kind of feeling each other out and then as a rock kind of falls Goku takes that moment to dart forward and unleash his first assault against Vegeta. Yeah, and you can tell right away that things are different is where Goku was able to easily outspeed and outmatch Nappa, Vegeta's speed is actually faster than Goku's. And we see Goku being kind of forced back and forced to kind of rethink the way he's going to tackle this fight. And right away... DBZ Kai wastes no time. Goku goes back on the assault and we see Kaioken kind of on full display here in the second assault. So we're doing that slowly building up the 
the ante, the the power levels where Goku's feeling out his opponent like we've seen. Yeah, and I mean, Vegeta, without Kaioken, Vegeta clearly has the upper hand. He's blocking all of Goku's attacks, uh, but Goku does manage to catch Vegeta by surprise with this boost in power with the Kaioken, landing multiple punches to Vegeta's face. Uh, Vegeta, though, even with Goku in his Kaioken technique, Vegeta returns the fury with a kick to Goku's face. Uh, I mean, it's admittedly even getting to see our new techniques from Goku. It's still not looking great. He's maybe on par with Vegeta at best. Well, things are about to get a lot worse because Vegeta's he's going to power up. And we get this amazing power-up scene where we see the the clouds kind of gather up and, and overcast over the entire battlefield. Rocks begin to float and lightning begins to strike. And this is just, this is Dragon Ball Z at its purest watching this power-up scene. Oh, yeah. There's like a cool green energy field that surrounds Vegeta. And then lightning surrounds his body. His pupils disappear from his eyes. It's beautiful. And it kind of culminates in Vegeta crying out to the heavens, uh, an explosion of light emitting from his body. And... Vegeta now is serious. He kind of lands an initial blow against Goku and then continues his onslaught with a key blast uh, that kind of catches Goku in the chest, but just grazes him. Uh, but it seems like it would have done significantly more damage if it had actually been a direct hit. And the the weight of these attacks are animated very well. It, you can tell that the stakes are high here and Goku's being pushed. He unveils Kaioken times two just to keep up with Vegeta, which is pushing his body to even, I guess, further extremes. And I don't know if we talked about this, but for anyone who doesn't know Kaioken, when you use this technique, it's draining and damaging to your body, but you're able to amplify it but at the same cost to your body. So if you double your power, the amount of stress to your body doubles. If you triple, you triple the stress, and it keeps going on like that. Yeah, I I love the Kaioken because it has such a strong downside, or at least an eluded downside. And, I mean, Goku is, is having to... Uh, is having to dip into those deep reservoirs of power and that significant downside just to keep up with Vegeta here. Uh, this is, I mean, we get the, we also have to point out Goku ripping his shirt off. So now it's serious business. Don't worry. I got the note in here. That's how I know he's taking this fight fight seriously. So yeah, this is when, <laughs> when Goku's actually trying because his shirt's off. That's right. I think as we get the power up to Kaioken 3, uh, we do get a shot of Balma's scouter getting a reading on Goku as it shoots up to upwards of 18, 19, 20,000 and then explodes on her face. <laughs> uh, and as Goku kind of charges in at Vegeta in this newly powered up form, I think that 
cuts the end of the episode and then leads into our next one. Yes, which is episode 14, Kamehameha Clash, Vegeta's Tenacious Grand Transformation. That's quite the title. And between last episode and the beginning of this episode, we get some scenes of Yajirobe creeping around the battlefield, but he's not really feeling getting involved with this battle of giants. This is such a funny thing because, again, anyone who has not seen the original Dragon Ball, I think this is the first time they show Yajirobe on screen in Dragon Ball Z. And I, I feel like anybody else... He was else at Corrin's who, Tower. We definitely see him there. Was he shown up there? Okay, yeah, I he, couldn't remember. He makes like one comment, but you don't really understand what's going on. Okay, so we get to see him at Corrin's Tower, and then we see him on the battlefield. So if... If you haven't watched Dragon Ball, you'll have no context for who this guy is or what he's even doing here. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, until I rewatched or not rewatched, watched original Dragon Ball recently, I had no idea who Yajirobe was and why he was in the show. He was always just the guy that hung out with the cat. But I mean, context is important, so I, at least I understand why he's hanging out with the cat ish. Yeah, and I mean, the funny thing is, by the end of the original Dragon Ball, Yajirobe is an, a formidable fighter. Like, he's he's pretty powerful. I mean, the only reason he even got knocked out in the 23rd martial arts tournament was that he was fighting God. So, I mean, of course, I mean, even just by the numbers, the power levels have skyrocketed above and beyond that at this point. Uh but he's, I mean, he's a formidable human in his own right, at the very least. I mean, it's, you could say he's, he was probably in the top 10 fighters on Earth at one point. So it's not like he's, he's a pushover. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but he's unwilling to get involved uh, as we see Goku now landing blows with his Kaioken times three again, catching Vegeta by surprise as he continues to push his body and his power beyond his own limits. Uh, he does. I mean, there's some cool shots of Goku just like getting a hit in dashing around. You get to see the trail of the Kaioken uh, as he dodges past Vegeta's own attacks and then getting in another blow, knocking Vegeta into the mountains. And that's when Vegeta gets angry. And we get the really cool shot of Vegeta screaming and exploding the mountains around him as he's not happy getting beaten up by this low-class warrior. I do love these these Kaioken scenes. I, I do love the, the way they animate Goku's mobility as he just dances around Vegeta. But I also love how they take a couple moments throughout this to pause and they show Goku's body just kind of, I guess the muscles, his muscles are starting to twitch and you see the veins all just like pulsing and you can tell he's almost like swollen with power. It's not something that he's controlling very well. They do a great job of showing that Kaioken is, it's taking a number on him and this is a ticking time bomb. If Goku's going to win the battle, he's got to do it in a reasonable amount of time. And I, I, I don't know. I just I'm a huge fan of the way they did this. I know they did it in the original and Kai did a good job of showing you those good moments in between all these big moments. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, we see Goku wincing in pain. There's a lot to allude to the fact that the Kaioken is really pushing his body. And as he darts around Vegeta, he ends up landing a powerful blow to Vegeta's gut. And I think, much like you said, Dayton, Goku even has some inner dialogue here where he's saying, I was really trying to end the fight there. Like in the Kaioken times three, I wanted to do it quickly uh, because my body can't handle that stress. But Vegeta is very strong. Uh, Goku and pissed does... off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Goku is, uh, I mean, he's beating up on Vegeta here a little bit, but Vegeta is also getting in hits on Goku. Um, there's a cool scene where Goku kind of grabs Vegeta's hands and wrenches them down. And then Vegeta gets on top of Goku's arms and slams down onto his head. Uh, it's such a fun fight. And this is why I feel okay throwing a little criticism at the Nappa fight. I wanted just a couple more cool scenes, just a couple cool animations, even if it was Goku just laying the beat down on, especially because Nappa had done almost everything to gain my vitriol up to the point that he got defeated, right? Vegeta had just been standing around. I hated Nappa. I wanted to see something a little bit more satisfying. Yeah, I'll give you that. It's... <laughs> When comparing the Nappa fight to this fight, it's, I mean, there's no comparison. <laughs> uh, I'll take it, though. This fight is fantastic. But anyway, sorry, I, I interrupted. No, no, you're totally fine. I, I think as these two titans clashing separate here briefly, Vegeta wipes the blood from his mouth and we get a nice little sort of dodgeball scene here of nobody makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> And Vegeta leaps up into the air, continuing to charge his energy and basically says, screw you, fuck your planet. I'm killing everybody now. Uh, and he starts charging his first Gallic gun. Yeah. And Goku panics because he knows he can't dodge this attack because it could destroy the entire planet. And so Goku unleashes his Kaioken times three and begins charging his Kamehameha wave. And both of these techniques lead us to arguably the first and if not most important beam battle of Dragon Ball Z. This is, I mean, speak about iconic moments. I, I feel like the Saiyan arc is just full of them, but this might be Man, I don't know. When I think about the Saiyan arc, this might be the first moment that pops into my head. This this is probably the most defining moment of the Saiyan arc. And for me, this was, when I was young, this was the hook in the mouth. This was the, the part that really made me stay long-term to put up with whatever filler episodes came next because this, this was a type of television I had never seen before. This is so good. I mean, the the animation here, the colors, the light, it's beautiful. And, and Kai I does mean, a great job with it, right? Like, it's spruced up very well. There, I've had plenty of criticisms on, on how things stick out and look weird, but this was one where I have no complaints. I think they actually did it justice, which, honestly, 
it should have been an impossible task, but I think doing less was actually doing more in this one. I was about to say the exact same thing because we've we've kind of bypassed it. They don't touch up the scenes on this fight too much. There are a couple, though, like one where Goku punches Vegeta in the gut. Again, it, it looks like a 1990s flash animation when they do that. It doesn't look good, uh, but they're few and far between in this fight. And particularly in this scene, I was watching to see if they messed up any scenes with bad animation because I would have been pretty upset about it. They don't. They they don't draw over anything. They let the original animation here speak for itself because it is gorgeous and it looks even better with the subtle color corrections that they do here. Uh, I love this scene. I think it's well done. I think it's an improvement. And I mean... It's I'm just going to keep going because I could gush about this for a long time. But <laughs> if if you loved it the first time around, you're going to love it the second time around with Kai. And as Goku's all but overwhelmed with Vegeta's Gallic gun, he decides to kick Kaioken into fourth gear. And this is the point where Vegeta is finally overpowered by Goku and is sent flying off into space like Team Rocket. Uh, and I, I have to gush just a little bit more because as Goku does the times for the way it animates the the Kamehameha, just this uh, relatively, I mean, large, but somewhat narrow beam. And then it just gets pumped up like swollen as it shoots up this extra bit of energy. And the sounds to- are on point here, too, right? The audio is carrying what you're seeing on the screen. Oh, yeah. And it I mean. At that point, the beam from Goku's Kamehameha just outdoing, outsizing, outpowering Vegeta's Gallic gun uh, and just launching him into space. And I mean, if you're not aware here or if you've not seen it before, it almost feels like the fight could be over here. Yeah, and we get Yajirobe finding enough uh, bravery to emerge from the shadows to congratulate Goku on his victory. And what he finds, though, is that Goku is in terrible shape. He basically can't move. And even just giving Goku a little pat on the shoulder causes Goku to cry out in pain. But that's not the worst news. The worst news is that Goku mentions that this fight probably isn't over and a blast like that probably isn't enough to defeat an opponent like Vegeta and Yajirobe. I mean, there are bricks in his pants at this point and I don't blame him. Oh yeah, for sure. Which is appropriate as we kind of cut away to Vegeta up above the clouds as he just barely manages to roll himself off of the Kamehameha and Vegeta is now kind of talking to himself like, there's no way a low-class warrior should be able to put up this kind of fight against me or defeat my Gallic gun. I'm going to have to transform. And he starts looking around for the full moon. Yeah, and this is, once again, where we see the effects of Piccolo playing a role in how the story goes. Piccolo planned ahead for the arrival, and on top of that, uh, planned around Gohan. And so... That moon is gone. He blew that moon up. There is no moon. And once Vegeta kind of realizes that that there is no moon, 
which, by the way, he even makes mention that they had planned their arrival around Earth's moon cycles. They planned on showing up when there would be a full moon. I do like that little attention to detail. I don't know if that's a dubism or not, but I, I enjoy it either way. Yeah, I don't quite remember. I feel like it wouldn't be at this point because they're definitely trying to be true to the source material. Um, but they also, I like this moment too, as Vegeta kind of comes down out of the clouds and starts kind of monologuing to Goku about uh, Saiyan's true power and their transformation. Uh, and then, you know, having realized that the the moon was destroyed. I also kind of like, how Vegeta's like, ah, Kakarot, that crafty bastard. He destroyed the moon knowing that we would transform. <laughs> and Goku's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Has no clue. Oh, well, thankfully, Vegeta goes into all the science about how uh, once uh, Saiyan's pupils absorb so many somethings of light or... What's waves, baby? Yeah, yeah. He goes into a lot of whatever microwaves or zero waves or whatever. <laughs> and just like Goku, uh, I don't understand it, but Vegeta decides that all he needs to do is make a false moon. And that's exactly what he does with a large chunk of whatever little energy he has left. Yeah. This is... This is a a turning moment here as Vegeta throws this false moon energy ball into the sky. And it, they both Vegeta and Goku kind of express that this drops Vegeta's powers pretty substantially. And so Goku's trying to figure out what the heck is going on as Vegeta's body first, his face begins to swell and extend with these, large fangs and he starts to grow and hair starts to form on his neck and face. And he turns into what we've seen already out of Goku, the Ozaru or the great ape form. Yeah. And this transformation is amazingly done. As you see this slow fade from his regular sane form into this great ape, there's some really just, well, disgusting or lovely, whichever perspective you, you would want to take, <laughs> of the in-between forms, where it's like this scant hair spread out across his weird fleshy body. And I love that kind of gross attention to detail, because that's how something like that would have looked. Oh, yeah, I love that, too. I mean, it, that level of, like, kind of gruesome detail reminds me of King Piccolo as he kind of vomits out the eggs of his children. It's it's a grotesque and lovely scene. <laughs> I, I love it. I love that attention to detail. But with this false moon, though, we do get Krillin and Gohan kind of noticing this energy floating over the battlefield. And it's around this point that Gohan says that he senses the danger his dad's in and he urges the two to head back to the battlefield. And so they start making their way back, their way back to help. Yeah. Which is probably a good thing as we see Goku struggling at this point, the what one would expect a large creature like this, this great ape Vegeta form uh, to their speed to be, 
his speed is now kind of unmatched as he's able to easily track Goku's movement and even land multiple blows against him. And Goku's just struggling to hang on. He doesn't have a good tactic, uh, but he does start to connect the dots as he realizes, oh, my grandpa used to talk about a great ape monster that wandered the woods. Oh, I'm the one who killed my grandfather. Yeah, he's I've got the line here and he says once he realizes that he says, I owe it to you, grandpa. I owe it to you and everybody else to take this guy down, no matter how strong he is, even if it kills me. And if I see you in the next world, I'll make it a point of saying I'm sorry for all the horrible things I must have done. There are just some great lines in Dragon Ball, and I think this is one of them. It's all the weight that Goku's dealing with right now in the middle of a fight for his life. It's it's almost wild to me that it takes this long for this reveal for Goku. His, I mean, his friends spent so much time protecting him from the truth that he was the one who murdered his grandfather. Uh, so it, it's, it's such a, it's almost strange, but also powerful thing to happen in this moment with this fight with Vegeta while Goku's fighting for his life and the, the fate of the earth. Uh, but I'm glad that they pause here, like you said, and give some great dialogue to really pay respect to this moment. Yeah, and th- it's weird building up this aspect of Goku for an entire, like, an entire, um, I guess, series. And then yeah. we're, I mean, what, we're 14 episodes in the DBZ Kai and we get the big reveal for it. It's weird that they would build that up for so long and then reveal it so early at the start of the next series. That That is a little strange to me. And for me, I didn't see original Dragon Ball when I watched this. So this didn't really mean anything to me the first time I watched it. That's a good point. I, w- I wasn't thinking about that either. Uh, but yeah, if... <laughs> If someone has not watched Dragon Ball, they won't understand the context here. Like, who's your grandfather? Why'd you kill him? What happened? I don't get it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it. I both it, I both feel like this is a weird moment for it to happen, but I also like it because it is directly connected to the Saiyans and it makes sense that Goku now seeing this form for the first time, uh, since normally he's the one who turns into it, he would start to finally connect those dots i think it's um it's very well done i i mean it's such a big moment for goku and it was one of those realizations you knew was going to happen at some point so it needed to be a big moment this felt like it was a big moment but i don't know if it felt like it was the biggest moment for me it was good but i think there are there are better ways to do it i actually i kind of like the way the uh the dragon ball movie did the reveal of it. I thought that one pulled at my heartstrings a little better. Oh, you're talking about the path to power. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think they did that. They did that reveal really well. Um, I agree. It's, it's a little bit weird in this spot. Um, but 
they did the writing for it well. Uh, it, it does kind of lead us into Goku now realizing that he doesn't have any way of beating Vegeta in this form, except for maybe one of his other new techniques in the spirit bomb. Yeah, and this is kind of the ultimate weapon. It's King Kai's ace in the hole that was taught to Goku. But it's not going to be as easy as it sounds. Vegeta's rampage and power make it difficult for Goku to really do anything. And Goku needs time to charge this spirit bomb. But with the great ape form of Vegeta pretty much constantly pressuring him, it seems pretty dire at this point. And that's kind of where the episode wraps up at. Yeah, I think that pretty much moves us into the next episode of this breakneck pace here. Mm -hmm. Which is episode 15, Goku in absolute peril. Entrust your wishes to the Genki Dama, which I love Genki Damas. Let me tell you about them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Vegeta's giant ape assault continues, but... Goku decides to borrow a technique thinking actually really quick on his feet. And this is where we see, if you've seen Dragon Ball, you know this technique. This is Tien's solar flare. And I love kind of this, this reveal that, one, Goku's a fighting savant, right? So he can just use everyone's techniques. Did he... I think he used the solar flare against Piccolo, didn't he? Or did he not? And at the end of Dragon Ball. Oh, shoot. You know what? I forget. He might have used it there, too. I was about to say this is the first time we see him use it. Uh, I can't quite remember. We'll have to double but... check on that. But I mean, all Goku needs to do is see a technique and he pretty much learns it. It's he did that with the Kamehameha. He, he can do it with the solar flare, I'm sure. No, you know what? It wasn't against Piccolo. It was against Tien. It was when Tien used his multiform technique. Uh, that was when Goku kind of leaped up and used the solar flare uh, to beat Tien and all of his eyes. That's what it was. I knew he had used it sometime earlier, but I just could not put my finger on it. So Goku knows this technique because he's seen it once, and so he's used it once. And I can only imagine with the increased senses that the great ape form offers, how blinded you would be getting a solar flare like that at point blank range. Yeah, uh, the the eye trauma certainly isn't going to stop there for Fuji for Vegeta no, no. today either. Uh, as Goku kind of uses this momentary break in the combat to I, I mean, the an interesting detail here is that Goku even uses the Kaioken to dash away from Vegeta to make as much distance from him as he possibly can. And then landing in what he thinks is a safe spot. He kind of spreads his legs, spreads his arms up into the air and starts charging for the spirit bomb, taking in the energy of all the living things around him on Earth. Yeah, and things are going well as Vegeta struggles with his vision and we see Goku get the attack ready. We see him just kind of pulsating this this energy that he's drawn into himself from the entire planet and as he focuses it into his hand vegeta's vision returns just enough for him to get an eye on goku and we see this moment where vegeta's launching in for the attack as goku's preparing his spirit bomb but 
kind of out of nowhere into my shock, Vegeta opens his mouth and launches this vicious, ginormous key attack that blasts into Goku, knocking him back. And we see the spirit bomb pretty much fade away and things are looking bad. Things are looking real bad at this point. Yeah. Vegeta's feeling pretty confident in this moment as Goku kind of lies on the ground, beaten and battered. Uh, He even says himself that he kind of lost the spirit bomb and lost his one chance at winning this fight. Uh, He does manage to get back up onto his feet, though, uh, and then Vegeta just knocks him right back down. Uh, I think also leaping up into the air and then landing with a heavy foot onto Goku's lower body, presumably crushing and breaking both of his legs. Yeah, and with Goku being crushed underfoot, um, it's kind of the last hope is slipping away. And Vegeta, even kind of reveling in the moment, decides that he's going to launch his final blow right here and right now. And this is where, in the middle of this attack, Goku shows he's got a little bit of fight left in him as he quickly, like, lurches forward and fires a a two-finger key blast off that strikes Vegeta in the eye. This felt very uh, Piccolo uh, fighting Goku at the end of Dragon Ball, where Piccolo thinks that or Goku thinks that he's won the fight and on the ninth count, Piccolo lurches forward and fires off a key blast. It was very similar to that. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, that's a good comparison. I also really like, it's a funny little detail here, but the, the attack that Vegeta is going to use on Goku as kind of a finishing attack is just a single big ass monkey (laughs) finger that he's going to stab down into Goku's body. (laughs) You know, it's, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, one of his fingers is about the size of Goku. So it's, it's the appropriate amount of force. Yeah, it's awesome. But I mean, Goku musters just that little bit of strength left, that little bit of resilience, uh, uh, saving his ass in this moment. But Vegeta now with a wounded eye, is furious, grabs Goku off of the ground and begins to just squeeze him and crush the life out of him. And we kind of cut over to what could maybe be Goku's savior here as Yajirobe is still lurking and watching the fight. He's keeping an eye on things. He's he's playing the coward's game, <laughs> but cowards live and that's important. This, though, is also about the time that... uh. Gohan and Krillin arrive and it's a horrific scene and they run into Yajirobe and Yajirobe just tells them, no, do not go into this fight. This is a a matter of gods. We don't belong here. But Krillin, he's actually thinking quickly on his feet and he comes up with a plan to try and distract uh, the great ape form of Vegeta. So that way one of them can remove their his tail. And he kind of points everybody into positions and we see Gohan running out first. He's yelling at Vegeta and Vegeta's cackling that he's going to kill Goku's prodigy right in front of him. And this is where we see Krillin charging up another not destructo disc to try and (laughs) save the day. 
This is kind of funny too, because this is another moment without Dragon Ball context. It wouldn't really make sense to us necessarily why Krillin even knows that you need to cut off the Saiyan's tail to get them to, to remove their great ape transformation. But we, as Dragon Ball viewers, know that Krillin has had to deal with this transformation multiple times before in the form of Goku and has had to help his friends chop off Goku's tail. Yeah, it's... You know, it's funny because I never questioned that when I was young. It was just like, oh, yeah, it's a big monkey. You chop off his tail. Duh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think much of it either, but I, I like that we have the context here. Uh, the unfortunate part is that the plan does not pan out as big monkeys with big ears also have really good hearing. Yeah, and Vegeta's ears, uh, they home in on this Destructo disc, and we also see once again that he's surprisingly nimble in his grape ape form, and he's able to leap over the Destructo disc before it can find its home. And all Krillin really accomplished was getting Vegeta's attention and being next on his kill list? More or less. Uh, I mean, Vegeta at this point is getting ready to just murder Goku in front of his friends. Uh, however, that is when the true savior strikes in our boy, Yajirobe, as Vegeta's face just kind of falls, and we see also his tail fall to the ground, with Yajirobe kind of leaping across, cutting through Vegeta's tail silently with his katana and then skittering out of the way behind a rock so that he can keep himself safe. <laughs> but the hero struck at the right time and we see Vegeta go through the reverse transformation as he slowly starts losing his hair and getting smaller and his teeth retract back and and once again Vegeta keeps finding ways to get angrier and angrier. And even though he's back in his normal Saiyan form, his rage knows no bounds. Yeah, this is great. And I mean, the the redubbing of this is good. Chris Sabat does an excellent performance as Vegeta, as always. And I mean, Goku, Goku's more or less out of this fight at this point. He is battered and broken. He has legs that are not going to support <laughs> his weight. Uh, and with that, Vegeta turns his ire to Goku's son, Gohan. And he, I mean, he kicks Gohan, uh, knocks him to the ground. Krillin kind of dashes in to protect the young half Saiyan and gets beaten into the rocks. And then Vegeta begins to crush Gohan's head beneath his boot. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely br brutal. And it's showing the character of Vegeta that he's ruthless he's angry he's very villainous and he doesn't want to just defeat his opponents he wants to grind them into dust and with all of this that's happening um there's I don't know if anything else happens but with Gohan and Krillin beaten back we see Goku kind of playing with Gohan to stand back up and continue fighting 
we get Gohan once again. He's very young. He's not very confident. He's inexperienced and he doesn't think he can he can fight anymore. But the motivation that gets Gohan back up into the fight is the thought of letting Piccolo down, letting his recently deceased friend die in vain. And that's enough to get Gohan back into the fight. I love this dialogue and this interaction because Gohan is is saying like, no, dad, I'm I'm too weak. I'm just a kid. He this guy's too strong. I can't do it. And Goku's like, you know, I, I can't fight anymore. I'm hurt. And Gohan's still like, no, dad, I can't. Until Goku says, would Piccolo want to see you this way? Would you do you want Piccolo's sacrifice to go in vain? Uh, and that's that is the trigger for Gohan. That is enough for Gohan to be like, you're right. I'm gonna kick this dude's ass. Yeah. And as Vegeta steps in to stomp on on Goku's injured body, Gohan refines his courage and stands on his feet. And Gohan actually faces off with Vegeta. He's able to exchange some blows. It's not a convincing fight, but he's able to at least, at least stand toe to toe. But this is this is where Goku kind of reveals his grand plan. He needed his son to act as a punching bag so that way he could get Krillin to come over and pass him off the remaining energy he stored from the spirit bomb. And Goku's logic is actually sound. He tells Krillin that I had to have you take this energy because Gohan's too inexperienced to wield it. And that tells you the kind of trust that, that Goku has in Krillin and the kind of respect that he has. Ah, I, I keep gushing, but I love this too. I love this bond between Goku and Krillin. And I, I love that Goku's thinking that Gohan can't handle the spirit bomb, even though Gohan is arguably more powerful than Krillin. Uh, But Krillin ends up grabbing Goku's hand, uh, expressing like, oh God, your arm is broken. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Goku in pain passes this energy, the remaining energy that he had collected from the spirit bomb to Krillin. Uh, Krillin is shocked. I mean, he's expressing how how much power this is. And it takes him a minute or a moment anyway to focus it into just from just raw power to an actual key ball in the palm of his hand. Yeah, and... That's where the episode kind of ends is with this cliffhanger of what's what's going to happen with this remnants of the spirit bomb. And that leads us into episode 16, the invincible Vegeta defeated. Wow. Wait, way to go. Spoilers. Son Gohan summons a miracle. (laughs) They really need to fix these episode names. You know, it's funny because I'm looking at the English name right now, which fixes it. It's very similar, but it fixes it a little bit. And it says, defeat the invincible Vegeta, work a miracle, Gohan. So it's it's very similar, but it doesn't give away the ending. <laughs> it's not a statement of fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I, can, I have some guesses as to what's going to happen in this episode. But we kick it off with Vegeta's just unrelenting assault on Gohan as Gohan's kind of getting pummeled at this point. Whatever he had left in the tank is kind of being eked out as Piccolo just repeatedly beats him, punches him into rocks, and is just overwhelming him. 
Vegeta beats him, not Piccolo. But that oh, whoops! Be... I keep saying Piccolo. Piccolo is always <laughs> on my mind. Sorry, I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Vegeta's just whooping on our five-year-old Gohan's ass. Uh, the, I mean, Gohan's still doing some impressive stuff here for a five-year-old as he fires off like Masenko after Masenko, not really landing much in the way of successful hits. I still... love this though. I want to pause on that for a moment because that. That feels like a very inexperienced fighter, um, I guess, strategy, right? It's, I know how to do key blasts. I'll just keep doing key blasts. But from everything we've seen, those are pretty energy intensive. You don't want to be just firing those off unless you they have a purpose. The only times we see that happening is in desperate situations, whether it's firing a million key blasts out of your hands to hold someone back, or in this case, just raw inexperience. That's a really good point, especially because Vegeta's not Vegeta's not blocking them. They're not hitting Vegeta. Vegeta is just dodging them, which almost certainly is taking more of a toll on Gohan than it is Vegeta. Uh, but we do get Krillin kind of trying to figure out Vegeta's all over the place. How am I going to land this attack with a spirit bomb? I only have one shot. And King Kai kind of gives him some guidance saying, you need to focus on Vegeta's evil energy and the spirit bomb will kind of do the work for you as it locks on to that energy. Yeah, and Krillin, he takes a moment and he deals with the stress of the entire earth is riding on him landing this technique. But with a deep breath, he exhales and begins to begins to focus on aiming this technique as Gohan stands his ground as long as he can. And as the moment arrives, we see Yajirobe leaping out, screaming at Krillin, are you going to launch that thing or what? And just as Krillin's launching the attack, Vegeta's tipped off to what's heading his way. Yeah, I don't know if Yajirobe just yelled out of fear or what, or what was going through his head, but bad move on Yajirobe's part as Krillin nearly lands the attack. Vegeta just leaping over it, just passing right beneath his grundle as it goes soaring towards Gohan and Goku with his newly found psychic powers. Yeah, did they ever explain that? Or is that nope. just, he just does that? King Kai did it in front of him, so he can do it now. <laughs> that is, honestly, that is the best headcanon for this. This <laughs> is how it works. He saw it once. Yeah. <laughs> so Goku, using his telepathic powers, tells Gohan, bounce it back, Gohan. It it's locked onto Vegeta's evil energy and you don't have any evil in your heart. So if you just reflect it, you'll be able to bounce it back at Vegeta. Yeah. And Gohan nervous holds his ground and does what his dad asks him to do. And just like he said, the attack hits Gohan knocking him back, but the attack bounces the other direction and lands home on Vegeta and we get a Team Rockets blasting off again moment again with Vegeta. But I love the the animation of Vegeta being just overwhelmed and almost crushed by the technique as his face distorts and he howls out in pain. Oh, it's so good. Once more, another great shot of just like this 
kind of black and white sketchy drawing his body extending uh i mean it it looks like some it, it looks like a tim burton drawing it's wild uh and yeah he he basically gets launched into space again by a key blast and this is another moment where our heroes are kind of i mean they're thinking that the battle is finished uh and they are in rough shape but yeah but it's it's a moment of celebration right it's uh Vegeta's been defeated and everything's going great and we can relax, except no, Vegeta falls back to the earth and he's he's still alive. <laughs> he just they, won't die. He's like a cockroach. <laughs> they even think that he's dead for a moment. Krillin even goes to check on him. He's like, we'll, uh, we'll dig a grave for you and bury you. And Vegeta's like, you're not going to get the chance, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Vegeta, he still possesses enough power to threaten the lives of our beleaguered Z fighters. And we see him just kind of collect himself and yell out how he's going to kill them all. And he summons the last of his key and attempts to finish all of them off with a single blast. But the blast kind of falls short and Vegeta's energy. It's gone at this point. He's he's spent. He's cashed out. Yeah, this kind of feels like uh, like a piccolo jr blast as it just kind of emanates out from his body as he extends his arms out wide even vegeta is surprised as he expresses he must be lower on power and more hurt than he really thought uh i mean our z fighters though aren't in much better shape as they try to get up and retaliate um vegeta goes over and finds Gohan lying there, gets ready to make the finishing blow, but notices Gohan's tail that had previously been removed has grown back. Yeah, and this is this is kind of a huge deal. One, I don't know why they just suddenly pop up. It's not a slow growth. It's uh they're not there then they're there, but whatever the the tail's back and Vegeta, noticing this, he uh, he begins to panic. He understands that this tail is a problem. And with the false moon hanging overhead, there's nothing he can do if Gohan decides to transform at this point. Yeah, so he gets ready to either rip the tail off or finish off Gohan as he lifts Gohan up by the tail. And in that moment... Our hero and savior, Yajirobe, strikes again. (laughs) Leaping from the shadows, the only place he he likes to hang out in. Yajirobe deals a pretty vicious slash across the back of Vegeta that causes him to collapse to the ground onto his knees. And for a moment, Yajirobe feels like he's defeated the Saiyan, but no, Vegeta's still alive. He's just even more beaten and battered, but he's still on his feet. And it, it's one of those things where no matter what they do, they can't get this guy to stay down. And this is where Goku decides to do his final gamut. He uses his uh, telepathic ability and he tells Gohan to just stare up at the big ball of light, son. Just go ahead and look at it, drink it in. And this is where Gohan's great ape transformation begins. 
I do love that Goku should be completely out of this fight, but he's still managing to contribute here with his newly found telepathic powers and just is kind of like the director to the, the fight and coordinating everything in the background. Uh, but it certainly pays off as Gohan looks up at the moon or the false moon and begins to transform. And we get what I consider both a funny and desperate scene here as Vegeta comes over and he's like, no, no, I can't let him transform. And he just starts pummeling onto Gohan's body as it's beginning to grow and expand. Looks like he's doing the patty cake on his chest. <laughs> yeah, pick. I mean, Vegeta's in an absolute panic and there's nothing he can do. Gohan finishes his transformation, but a big difference between Gohan and Vegeta is that Vegeta is in control of his great ape form. He's able to keep his thoughts and direct his rage. Whereas Gohan finishes his transformation and begins just trashing everything in sight. Yeah. I mean, this can be, this could potentially be a problem for our Z fighters as Gohan lifts a boulder into the air and even gets ready to smash it down onto our remaining protagonists. However, Goku kind of yells out to Gohan and manages to get through to him, manages to tell Gohan, hey, I need you to focus on Vegeta. I need you to take your rage out on him. And Krillin kind of tries to do the same. And between the two of them, they manage to tap into whatever human or Saiyan sensibilities remain in Gohan's mind. And Gohan turns and starts marching directly for Vegeta and gets ready to attack. I I love this because it's such junk food. It's such just watching Vegeta having to deal with the monster that he was watching him be powerless against a giant opponent like that, at least for a little bit, is a lot of fun. And mind you, this is a pretty brief scene. Just like everything in Kai, it moves kind of quick, but it's Vegeta panicking for a moment to try and deal with this colossal opponent as he swatted around like the fly he is. But I would say this only lasts a couple minutes as Vegeta also can destructo disc now, and then he uh, <laughs> chops off Gohan's tail. Yeah, I mean, Vegeta is also a fighting savant, having seen one technique and then replicating it. Uh, I, I mean, I also agree with you, too. Like, there's there's a bunch of great symbolism in this fight, too, with uh, Vegeta having to deal with this giant that is also this child, like the 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 proud Saiyan prince being taken down by not only the power of the Saiyans, but also a five-year-old kid <laughs> <laughs> and the i guess gohan's final moment as the great ape is it's great uh his tail gets cut off and he you know he loses control and begins reverting but vegeta he's unable to avoid the the collapsing giant body of gohan and is crushed underneath his great ape body and when gohan reverts back Vegeta's in this crater, just in terrible, terrible shape. Yeah, this is, I mean, our Z fighters have been putting 
everything into this fight, lost half of their numbers. Uh, the remaining of them can barely even stand. Some of them can't even stand. And Vegeta at this point is kind of at the the last dregs of his power as he pulls out a remote, pushes a few buttons, and we get to see his Saiyan pod fly into the scene as he crawls over to the opening pod to try to make his escape. Yeah, and Krillin, he sees this this evil prince trying to make his way off world. And Krillin pulls himself to his feet, barely able to to force himself to walk. And he's he's going to stop Vegeta, but on his path over, he finds Yajirobe's sword on the ground. And the episode technically ends right here with Krillin holding up Vegeta, preventing him from leaving the planet alive. Now... This is, we're only covering six episodes. We're covering 11 to 16 in Kai. This is technically, especially by Kanzenshu, this is the last episode of the Saiyan arc. I talked to Dayton about this, and I feel like we've seen Dragon Ball Z. We know what happens next. We have to, even though we're not watching the next episode because it kind of dips into the Namek arc, we have to talk about how this resolves because that's, I mean, that is the the ending to the Saiyan arc, right? It, it is. I, I want to talk about what happens, but I do still want to review how uh, DBZ Kai handles it specifically, which we can do next episode. But um, for now, I do think we need to complete the arc. And what happens in original DBZ, from what I remember is Goku pleads with Krillin to allow Vegeta to escape the world alive. He allows this juggernaut of a villain to leave the planet safely, and Krillin lets down the sword and lets Vegeta escape peacefully. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into the specifics of that more next time. Uh, but, you know, Krillin trusts Goku. Goku wants to give Vegeta a chance to to redeem himself uh, and Goku kind of believes, Hey, you know, I'll just beat him next time. Well, with Piccolo dead, he needs another Piccolo, right? So he just found himself a, a replacement villain that, or that he can fight whenever he wants. That is way too true. And <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm I mean, sure it, that's exactly what he was thinking. Vegeta is 100% the replacement Piccolo. They even then, end up having basically the same story arc but oh geez all right yep i didn't realize how closely that hit to home um (laughs) so yeah he needed a replacement piccolo and this is how he gets it but that that's actually how the saiyan story ends so that way we can actually end this arc but um yeah so what did you think about the second half of the the saiyan or dbz kai's saiyan arc oh boy I mean, this podcast episode is far longer than it probably should be. But man, these episodes are so dense. It's uh, the pace is so fast. This is and there's so much to talk about. I mean, I love the Saiyan arc, but I mean, I like what they have here. I think that there were a few missed moments, particularly 
Piccolo's sacrifice. I feel like Kai, I, I said it already, but I feel like Kai just doesn't know when to put on the brakes. I feel like it's it's going to miss some really great moments because it doesn't know when to give a scene time to breathe. Uh, but I, I am glad that it cuts out the fluff. I'm glad that each episode feels worthwhile. It feels like something's happening. It feels like a ton is happening. Um, I think that they did justice to the Saiyan arc here. I think that the, the redub is good. The writing is good for it. Uh, they fixed a number of problems. Like I had mentioned to Dayton earlier about Goku's father, Bardock being a great scientist who created the Blutz wave and the fake moon. Uh, that was a dubism in the original and they completely cut that out. Uh, we all know those of us who have seen the episode of Bardock, that Bardock was not a great scientist. <laughs> Whoops. Yep. Um, so yeah, I I think overall I'm pleased with what they've done with Kai. I just wish that they would, I think Dayton said it best in that they should stretch it out and stick in another episode or two just to give moments like Piccolo's sacrifice time to breathe. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where you can lose some of the context of what's happening because they don't take any time to explain it. And they also don't give you any time to think about anything that's happening because you're being given story at such a rapid fire pace. It's before an original DBZ, which was 300 plus episodes, it felt like you were being kind of drip fed story pieces where you might get one or two pieces of story per episode. You're getting five, six, ten pieces of story per episode or important points or details and sometimes it feels like you're drinking from a fire hose. It's I've got to pause and think about what's happening because if I don't digest it, it something else is going to happen down the line. And I, I haven't really thought through this moment enough to appreciate the next moment that's about to happen. Yeah. And I think the original Dragon Ball Z, it has a ton of filler. It also, though, especially when you're watching it either day to day or week to week, it holds that sense of tension uh, where it gives you maybe one or two little beats as it moves the story forward and you just want more. Uh, and each episode feels like it's a, a, a cliffhanger, but Kai, Kai almost went too far in the other direction. It's, it's a little bit too fast. Uh, it's hard to process things like you said, Dayton, and I think sometimes, too, because they were more worried about condensing it, the episode endings cut at such strange spots. And I'm like, I I'm like, wait, that's that's the end of the episode. What? Why? Why there? Why? Why would you put it in that spot? Yeah, we definitely had a couple's were or a couple of points where we needed to introduce the next episodes. So that way we could keep talking about what was happening right then and there. And I don't mind a cliffhanger, right? I don't mind what's about to happen, but we're in the middle of something happening and you decide to take a cut and it just, it had to have been just because of the pacing, because we need to fit all of this in this episode, or at least we need to fit this whole story in 16 episodes. We have to just keep things going regardless of whether it's a good point to end on or not. 
Yeah, and I I wish that they had taken more careful consideration to that to to key moments uh to episode endings and when to cut and just been a little bit more careful with the content and with the material i like the the writing that they've done for it all the writing has been great i like that it's much more true to the source material even if you know we're missing out on some of that nostalgia factor for some of the original names and such so there's there's a lot of good to be had in kai i just don't feel like it's the perfect version of dragon ball z that i really want it to be yeah and i think i think we had talked about this briefly i'm not sure if on air or not but it's if you had to recommend the dragon ball z series to somebody who had never seen it is this a better experience than the original dragon ball z and i think i think this is a tough question because i do think that there's a lot of context that's that's kind of mixed out on, or there are some moments where you don't really sit down and appreciate the characters or the relationship that characters have with each other. And so I don't know if it's a, if it's a clear answer for me as somebody who's seen the original series, I love this. I think this is a, it's a great refresher. It's a good way for me to get a lot of the, a lot of the good experiences from Dragon Ball Z, but we're cutting it down from like 290 episodes to whatever however long Kai is. I have not looked. <laughs> yeah, it's a through boo. I think it ends up being about half that size. I think it's close to 150, but. And a good chunk of that is actually the boo arc, too. Um, so I'm torn on that question as well, Dayton. I think it's a great question. Like, what is the better source material to watch now that we have both Dragon Ball Z, the original and Dragon Ball Z Kai. I don't know that there's a good answer either. I think that people will be more willing to watch Dragon Ball Kai because they know that it doesn't have filler. It's much less material to watch and it has more modern writing and modern voice acting without all the problems of the voice acting with voice actors changing and everything in the original dub. I feel like it's an easier sell than the original, but I feel like people are missing out on a lot by not watching the original. I, I think that's where I kind of land too. I think, I mean, 150 episodes is that's a lot of anime for anyone to watch, um, let alone 290. And so I think, I think I would recommend Kai, and then if you enjoy Kai, watch the original if you want some more context, regardless of the filler. But it's so far, it's been good. And it's weird in the first part of the uh, the Saiyan arc. I feel like the bad animation stuck out to me like a sore thumb or the bad updates um, to the animation. I didn't notice much of it in the second part. It seems like when we got to the the actual fighting and the big important scenes, Everything looked pretty good. I didn't have a lot of complaints as far as animation goes. There were only a few moments and and I was watching for him like a hawk because I was like, don't you mess up one of my favorite parts in all of Dragon Ball. <laughs> uh, but they they at least kept the important moments intact. Uh, so I'll, I'll give him a I'll give him a thumbs up for that. 
I'm I'm hoping that we see less of those standout touch-up frames and scenes as we move forward and the animation kind of gets better through Dragon Ball Z's run. Uh, but we'll kind of see how that turns out. I do hope it gets better. And and from what I've noticed, less is definitely more. The The less they try and touch it up and the more subtle techniques they use, the better it looks. Yeah, it, it doesn't need much. I, I'm in love with the, the old animation, especially as we move a little bit further into Dragon Ball Z. Uh, and especially in the the episodes where it's clear that they they spent time and money on the animation and these episodes with the fight against Goku and Vegeta, it's very clear that that time was spent way back in the eighties and nineties. Uh, so kudos to you, Toei animation. This stuff still looks great today. It looks fantastic. I'm a huge, huge fan of it. Um, and it's one of those things where you're hoping that your memory will, will stand the test of time. And it definitely does here. It's been I mean, I've watched Dragon Ball Z through again since I was a kid, but it's I have those early fond memories and it it they're done justice every single time. I do just want to point out because we haven't really talked about it yet. I I like the the audio work, the dubbing and everything. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the music. I think it could be done better. It's not like standout bad. Uh and it is a, a an entirely I believe mostly different score than like the original Dragon Ball Z and even the Japanese version. There are just moments. I think like I'm going to harp on Piccolo's sacrifice one more time where I don't even think they used music for a good chunk of that scene. And it really felt like it needed it. Uh, Some of the fight music is fine. Like it's, it's again, it's not standout amazing. It's not awful. Uh, but there are just some scenes where I'm like, this really could use some better music and it's just not hitting home as a result. Yeah, it's the music wasn't it wasn't a standout to me, which is a good and bad thing. It wasn't standout good. It wasn't standout bad. It, it As far as my experience with it, it got the job done. Um, I, did they redo the entire soundtrack for this or are they reusing old music and mixing it with new i i've not looked into this i think they redid most of it i've watched so many different renditions of dragon ball especially dragon ball z at this point that so much of it blends together in my head of like oh yeah that's dragon ball z music oh that's dragon ball z music too uh so it's sometimes hard for me to distinguish between which version is which uh i think that there were a few tracks that i was like I recognize that. And then there were other tracks that I was like, that sounds completely new. I've never heard that before. <laughs> so it's a mixed bag. It just depends on how they were feeling that day. Yeah, basically. I know. Well, they had a lot of issues with some of the licensing for some of the original music and stuff, which I think is why they ended up redoing it. Oh, but, boo. Yeah, a whole mess. Um, but I, I wish that I just wish it had a little bit better music. I think it could be done better. That's fair. I mean, even if you can't get the original, you could still find something new that's good. Exactly. Uh, but we've been talking about this for quite a while. Uh, was there anything? <laughs> it, it might be quicker to just watch it rather than listen to us. <laughs> this is about as long as the episodes at this point. But <laughs> uh, they're dense, man. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a huge fanboy, so I gush about a lot of the different stuff. 
but Dayton, did you have anything else you wanted to discuss? God, I hope not. I've been talking about it for two hours now. <laughs> I, I hope it's all out there. Well, with that in mind, that's it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we heal our wounds and fly into outer space to begin the Namek arc. Our crew is without Dragon Balls, but Mr. Popo has some secrets to reveal that might help bring our lost Z fighters back from the dead. How long will it take Goku to get back on his feet? What can Bulma learn from the alien technology left behind by the Saiyans? Will we get to hear the call of the majestic space duck? <laughs> Find out a next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there and remember to keep rocking the dragon. All these squares make a circle. All these squares make a circle. <laughs>